Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about why female athletes pee when they lift and some strategies that we can implement that can help kind of troubleshoot that symptom from the outside in. But first, I want to say we made it to 100 episodes of the Practice Brave podcast, and this has been such an awesome outlet for getting better information out there and knowing that you know topics surrounding being a female athlete are not being overlooked whether it's pregnancy, postpartum, coaching strategies, or running a business as a coach, we've really tried to tackle so many different uh, conversations that relate to a very needed population, um, very popular population that has just gone underserved for a long time. So while we bring a lot of different topics and conversations to this podcast, I just want to thank you because so much of this is just a reflection of me and being multi-passionate and caring about a lot of different things that um, have crossover. So thank you for being here. Thank you for telling your friends about this podcast. Thank you for continually listening and supporting the brand and what we are doing. So now we're going to dive into female athletes peeing when they lift heavy. You may have seen on social media, I've shared a bit about this recently. I got tagged in on a post um, when a colleague of mine, Dr. Aaron Horshig, shared shared a reel about one of the athletes he was helping who was peeing when she would deadlift heavy with a weight belt. Um, him and I had talked a little bit about some things that we could do, and then he shared that, which has sparked quite a bit of conversation. And I thought that I would have this podcast here as a point of reference and a resource to listen back on and to help Honestly, just like clarify and apply strategically to you or to the athlete that you are working with who's experiencing this symptom. There, we can't always just fix this with mechanical adjustments or breathing adjustments, but those things tend to go a really, really long way. Before I get into some of the nuances of this, I do want to encourage you if you are somebody who experiences incontinence or any kind of pelvic health symptom like heaviness or pressure. Um, peeing when you sneeze or when you lift or when you run, anything like that. I really, really encourage you to go see a pelvic floor physical therapist, even if it's just for a one-time consultation, it can give you a lot of feedback on what some of your tendencies are that may be contributing to these symptoms. And it's just a great set of eyes and hands to help dial in your unique need. I'm going to be giving broad concepts that uh, there's no one size fits all. There is no formula. There's no like just breathe like this or try this cue or adjust your form like this. That will work for everybody. It's really kind of finding at an individual level what could be contributing to your symptoms and what are some ways that we can improve your overall functional and athletic experience, not just now, 
but on behalf of your lifetime of athleticism. And that is what this brand focuses on. Pregnancy and postpartum oftentimes are a catalyst for improved movement and athletic performance because it's an opportunity to learn a lot about our bodies and where a lot of vulnerabilities can be exposed. And along that point, I should say, um, this ping when you exercise is not limited to pregnancy and postpartum or menopause and old person thing. This is something that is experienced by a range of female athletes of all different ages, abilities, sports, et cetera. If you are coaching women, this is a consideration that you have to have and some tools in your coaching toolbox to know what am I looking for and how can we improve her overall um, experience? Because it's not just peeing on the platform at a powerlifting meet. It is making sure that girl who's peeing at a powerlifting meet on a platform is still able to have the quality of life and pelvic health function that she wants when she's 50, 70 90, right? Again, it's setting us up for this lifetime of athleticism, really prioritizing quality of life. And for female athletes, our pelvic health is a part of that conversation. And if you're listening to this and you don't pee when you lift heavy, you can still learn a lot about your body and different ways to have your lifts work for your body now and long-term. I do not experience incontinence and I don't have any pelvic health symptoms when I lift but I love knowing that I understand my body and I can leverage my body to work for me in performance ways um, where I'm not kind of contributing or aggravating potential symptoms or injuries, right? Just like we know if our knee is constantly caving in when we're squatting, maybe we're going to be more prone to a knee injury. Or if we're constantly lifting with a, a rounded back when we're deadlifting, not always, but sometimes that can contribute to low back pain. This is pretty common knowledge for coaches. It's pretty common knowledge for athletes to know that our form matters for a reason. Our strategies and tendencies, like all of these things matter in movement. And when you are peeing, that's a symptom that tells you that's like a point of weakness, right? It just is. It gives you feedback on your body that something is not working in your favor right now. So what can we do about that? All right. So while this is a really big topic, I'm going to do my best to keep my ranting um, on point, I do have notes, so just bear with me. So why is this happening? For a lot of female athletes, in my experience, it's not a matter of weakness. In fact, a lot of female athletes have very strong pelvic floors. That's referred to as a hypertonic pelvic floor. And that means that they hold a lot of tension and they're just like, they're holding this contraction all the time. Maybe it's in the form of squeezing their glutes. Like as I'm standing here doing this podcast, I'm holding more tension in my abs and in my glutes just because I'm talking and I'm like a little bit wound up trying to deliver this information, right? But I can be aware of that and know like, okay, I need to let go of some of this tension that I'm holding. I don't have to be this tense all the time. Well, that's really hard for a lot of us. So it's recognizing, do I chronically suck in my stomach? Am I squeezing my glutes? Am I holding in... Um, am I really like wearing a lot of tight leggings? Are my traps super high, kind of holding them up towards my ear? Am I um, like clenching my teeth? All of those are signs of carrying a lot of tension in your body. So when you are somebody who is a high tension athlete, which frankly is the majority of us, and even if you're not a super high tension athlete, you've probably been sucking in your stomach for the last like 20 something years. Okay. So it's knowing how to let go 
of some of that tension and let the pelvic floor in your core system really work through a range of motion. Again, it's not about being strong. This isn't just like, oh, she has a weak pelvic floor. That's why she's peeing. It needs to get stronger, do more kegels. That is not how it works. We have to talk about coordinating that system. So just like we can think about a bicep that has to elongate on the uh, eccentric motion and then shorten on the, on the um, like on the curling and concentric motion, the pelvic floor and that whole core system works in the same way in response to the diaphragm. So on inhale, the diaphragm descends, pelvic floor lengthens, abs lengthen. They shouldn't just be in this holding pattern. And on an exhale, in response to this diaphragm, this is not something that you're you're having to like really consciously think about. But as you exhale, that diaphragm goes back up and pelvic floor recoils or engages, um, contracts, shortens, whatever word you want to use in response to that. You're not having to consciously think about this. This is just how we work. This is how our bodies are designed. Yet when we add a breath hold, or we add a lot of tension, or we add loads, we add all of these challenges to the system, that's when we can start to see it struggle to perform and function in the way that it needs to. And when we add pelvic floor injuries to that, say post-vaginal birth, like that's a whole other conversation. But again, this is not just limited to a pregnancy and postpartum conversation. This is really talking about female anatomy. One thing I said in my post was like, it's 2022 or probably 2023 by the time you're listening to this. Women are lifting heavy. We've been lifting heavy. This is not freaking new, but it is in the grand scheme of things. We have come so far in a very short amount of time about really supporting female athletes and encouraging lifting heavy and being having that be part of our lifestyle as teenagers in our early 20s and 30s in motherhood, um, perimenopause, menopause, and into old age. This, we are seeing this be extremely encouraged, even if it's still unusual in some communities or in some you know, areas of the fitness industry or medical community or practitioners, whatever. The majority of us listening to this podcast, <laughs> we're on the same page. We're like, yeah, it, we lift heavy. And a lot of the traditional strength and conditioning research, a lot of the our traditional knowledge about how to brace, how to valsalva, how, you know, what the best mechanisms are for lifting heavy. None of that research was done on women, right? Like that, this is not, <laughs> our bodies have different anatomy. We literally have a hole at the bottom of our core. So we have to take that into consideration, especially when our body is signaling that there is a problem. They are peeing under max loads um, or maybe not even max loads. Like they're just, they're having some pelvic health symptoms. That is a sign just like if we had knee pain or shoulder pain or back pain or any injuries or surgery on that system, we would know that we need to do something differently. We'd have to change how we're doing things in order to recover or to prevent there from being an injury or pain happening again. Okay, so your pelvic floor kind of works the same way. So we have to understand that while Valsalva may not be problematic for you, for some people, it can be really triggering of pelvic health symptoms when it's not done appropriate appropriately for their unique body and their unique unique ways. And again, there's no one size fits all strategy, but in the world of lifting heavy, we've kind of just been taught like a strategy for bracing. It's generated shit ton of tension, really brace, really breath hold, push into that weight belt 
Um, or kind of, uh, I'll talk about this in a bit, but just kind of setting down and in, and we're generating a lot of pressure downward into the pelvic floor. So for female athletes, that's probably not the right bracing strategy for them. And it's not our fault. Like no one really taught us how to do this any differently in relationship to our unique anatomical needs. So again, just like we as coaches would encourage a specific deadlift form if somebody has um, longer femurs or if they have shorter femurs, you know, like going sumo versus conventional. It's knowing how to work with your body and taking the feedback that your body is giving you and saying like, okay, maybe this isn't serving me. How can I do it differently? So that's how I want you to really think about this conversation is it's not stop lifting heavy. It's how can I lift heavy differently so that my body is not being compromised. My pelvic floor, my pelvic health now and long-term is not being compromised. So let's see, what did I leave out here? Okay. So why does it happen for a lot of people? It happens when there's a Valsalva and that breath hold and generation of a lot of intra-abdominal pressure. Intra-abdominal pressure is not a bad thing at all. And when we're lifting heavy, we need to leverage it to work for our body not against it. So again, a lot of us have been taught to um, like take a big breath and we kind of like inhale and brace into a weight belt where we shoot the rib cage up, our breast trajectory goes up. We're sending a lot of forward pressure. Or, and this is what I see a lot with female athletes who pee when they lift heavy, they say we're doing a back squat and I'm like, I'm talking this out right now or trying to squat as I as I do this podcast. Um, they will inhale and then sort of set hard into their um, into their core where they send some downward pressure into their pelvic floor. So kind of like gripping their upper um, or gripping their rib cage and sending a lot of force, generating a lot of pressure downward. And that's just at the setup portion. You know, that's getting into that position and they're really squeezing and sending force downward. So what we see when I work with female athletes, and these are high level female athletes, they don't need to teach, they don't need me to teach them how to squat or lift or whether their form is good or not good. It's making tiny adjustments to some of their lifting strategies so that it again, helps them progress and perform at a high level without having the um, P compromise their performance. So they're either pressuring out really far out, sending that rib cage trajectory, breast trajectory up, a lot of forward pressure, or there's a lot of downward force and pressure being sent to the pelvic floor. And then they're starting their squat or, and then they're starting their pull and their deadlift. Okay. So breath holding is one consideration and then positional and form considerations. So a lot of athletes will pee when they're, when their pelvis gets into a tucked position or at honestly, just like at different sticking points throughout the lift where their form gets compromised and the pelvic floor is not in a position to absorb force or create force well. And so if we really have to look at it beyond just like what we consider to be good form. And I say that with air quotes, um, but knowing like, how can we put the pelvic floor in a position to absorb force and produce force where it's not being compromised under that heavy of a load at that sticking point? Uh, I will be talking about this a little bit later, but most people are peeing. If they're deadlifting, they're peeing like at that mid shin or um, like halfway up their quad, like that position when they're really trying to pull and their pelvis position is typically gets tucked under, especially under a lot of load, or they're peeing at the catch portion of their clean 
at the bottom there when they're transitioning to being kind of bottomed out in that squat to then trying to stand up, that's when the P happens. And same with a back squat, they're, they're squatting down as they're starting to come up, maybe an inch out of the bottom of the hole, like that's when they start peeing. So it's knowing that this is happening at different positional points in lifts and how can we look at where it's happening and say, what, what position is her pelvic floor in and what can we do about it? The other thing is tension. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but we are naturally crossfitters power lifters, Olympic lifters, whatever. We're kind of like high tension humans. We hold a lot of tension in our glutes and pelvic floor, in the abs, and all of that can influence function and performance. So it's learning how to leverage your tension appropriately. A lot of people will kind of squeeze their glutes at the top of the deadlift and then, or at the top of the squat and then sit down into another squat or whatever. So we're almost predisposing the pelvic floor to some issues because we're already holding a lot of tension at the beginning or when we're like repping out like maybe a set of like three reps where they're pretty challenging reps and on the third oh you're peeing now and I don't know like I think that happens to a lot of different female athletes is maybe it's not the first rep at their 85% of their one rep max but it's like their third or it's their fourth and then they start peeing so it's a capacity thing but also they've just kind of predisposed their pelvic floor to a lot of tension at the top of the deadlift or at the top of the squat where it's just too much. And it's not in a position where we are kind of spreading how much tension is being used in one concentrated area. And then the weight belt. So you don't, uh, I don't know what this is. You, the majority of us do not need a weight belt. It is a tool that can be implemented at the appropriate time for the appropriate person for the appropriate reason. It can be a great tool. And if you are peeing every time you're putting on the weight belt, like let's take a little bit of a step back and reassess, A, how are you using the weight belt? And B, can we reposition it? Uh, And then how are we bracing under that weight belt? So you don't have to totally ditch it, but it could be really helpful to learn some of the basics before you're working into trying to um, incorporate it back into your lifts and then make more progress there. So a belt can be contributing too, because when we add constriction to how that core system works, like now we're influencing that relationship with the pelvic floor and diaphragm and the, and the TA and all of that, when there's this over-engagement where now we're up against IAP, we're up against all oh, max tension, we're up against max load. And now we're adding a weight belt where that system is the core and pelvic floor system, I should say, is compromised. So while it might feel like you have more security um, it helps you kind of brace better. It's like, maybe that's better for, you know, your performance or so you feel, but it's not better for your function. And that's where we have to like walk this line of, if, you know, it's, a, it's honestly having a really nuanced conversation. And then a lot of people have like lifestyle activities of daily living. Like they just kind of live in a, uh, habits and have tendencies and underlying symptoms that are contributing to symptoms showing up when they're lifting heavy. So this could be a postpartum injury, like tearing and a lot of scar tissue. This could be pelvic organ prolapse contributing. This could be um, uh, like if you're having pain with sex, that's usually, or insertion of any kind, that can be a sign of pelvic floor like tightness and, you know, like none of these things should be painful. If your urine stream is really slow, 
Um, that's also a sign of a tight pelvic floor. And again, if we have a tight pelvic floor that's just kind of in this chronically holding state, that will influence both function, some of these things I just talked about, and it'll show up in the form of symptoms or maybe more obvious symptoms when you're lifting. Because again, like it cannot just hold this isometric contraction all the time. It has to be able to lengthen and shorten in response to a variety of tasks and demands from a sneeze to a jump to a heavy lift to, you know, a five mile run and have like that endurance and that capacity to, again, to keep being responsive to the task and demand at hand. Okay. So I'm going to kind of recap that with a little bit more of an emphasis on what we can actually do about it. So with the breath holding, some things that we can think about for this is to redistribute where our breath is going. I mentioned that a lot of female athletes tend to pressure out again into like that midline rib cage thrusted up, breast trajectory thrusted up, or they pressure down into the pelvic floor, which is not just pressure, but if you set in, like, I don't know, I, I wish, I wish you guys could see this. Um, when you like set in, there's already like a lot of force there. And then we're adding a lot of tension in the glutes when you set into set into the lift, right? When you're trying to brace like that. So I like to distribute the pressure a little bit differently. So again, you can still brace, you can still breath hold. It's just, let's distribute where a lot of that force is going. The cue that I like and have seen the most success with, with my athletes of all different like strength sports is to breathe into your lats because I think it gives us a higher and wider way of thinking about where our breath is going. And it still gives us the Valsalva embrace that we need. It's just a little bit higher. So it's taking some of that force and pressure away from the pelvic floor. If I told you just breathe into your ribs, we think of those as being lower. So then we're still kind of sending pressure down below and it's just harder. So for, in my experience, I feel like it, that mental cue helps us really like if I have this pretend barbell on my back, if I think like breathe into my lats, I'm, I'm able to take a wider breath because it's a, it's a wider area than my rib cage. I can inhale wide and I'm still going to have IEP in my, like going against my midline and still going to be creating pressure, downward pressure on the pelvic floor, but the, where it's going and where it's basically being absorbed the most is higher and wider. And that's what I think can be a really helpful cue for female athletes, especially when they are symptomatic at all. But even if it's like not incontinence, maybe like prolapse symptoms kick in under heavier loads and we kind of resort back to some of our old breathing and bracing tendencies. So you really have to dial in a new one. And that is not, I should also say, messing around with your new breathing and bracing strategy is not something that you're doing at your one rep max or even at your 95 or even at like your 85. I would want you to like mess around with this new Valsalva and breathing bracing strategy at like 65, 75, 85 and get really good at it there. Because you're having to retrain your brain a little bit and undo. I mean, for me, it was like undoing years of training. <laughs> like I was only, you know, I, was, I grew up lifting in male dominated environments and was taught by all male strength conditioning coaches. And that there was only one way that was really drilled. And it was like max tension, max breath hold. And, you know, we have to just kind of relearn how to do this. 
So if you're breathing into your lats, say for a squat, it's that inhale, and you're going to feel it go wider up top. And then as you're coming out of the bottom of the squat, start your exhale. Like you don't have to breath hold through the full range of motion. And maybe that's intuitive to some people, but I see a lot of people that are just like so committed to holding their breath through that full range, especially, and then there's their peeing. And so there's like the force and that pressure has to go somewhere and it escapes to the pelvic floor, basically creating a lot of symptoms. So if you can initiate that breath hold after like you've made that transition coming out of the bottom of the squat, for example, maybe when you are, if you squat and you're driving up when you're maybe a little bit under like halfway up, start that exhale and like a slow exhale, like you're kind of breathing through a straw or it's not, um, it doesn't have to be this super forceful exhale. It can just be like a gradual one. And again, this is pressure management. This is manipulating our air <laughs> and where, how that is being absorbed in our core system. Again, there is no one size fits all cue or breathing strategy, but we have to be willing to play around with it and then play around with it at lower loads so that your brain can get used to it before you then test that strategy under higher loads. Okay, next one. Um, weight belt kind of talked about that, but the same considerations is loosen it up. You can use it as like a biofeedback kind of thing about like, am I really, am I distributing my breath differently than I was prior? You can ditch it altogether and just get really freaking strong without the use of a weight belt. And honestly, I think this is a really great starting point is to dial in some of these new strategies of lifting without the use of a weight belt. Again, the majority of us don't really need it. It's a nice to have, not a need to have, at least to a certain level. Yeah, again, just weight belt. If that, if you notice that that's when you're peeing is when you're using it, like maybe pause on it and then incorporate some of these strategies before reintroducing the weight belt again. Okay, but the tension. So a lot of tension can be improved in our activities daily living, just having a lot more body awareness and then body awareness in our lifts. And this is going to kind of cross over into the next point where I talk about form, but tension can be distributed differently. And a lot of us, especially those female athletes that pee, they're so afraid of peeing that they're gripping so hard. And we can relate this probably to, um, to double unders who are athletes that pee when they're jumping is like, they just squeeze their pelvic floor and hope that they're not going to pee. And guess what happens? They pee every single time, right? Because you cannot like out contract that system and hope that it, it stays. It just will not like it will give at some point. If you are experiencing incontinence, you cannot like kegel it away um, through one max hold. That just doesn't work. You can't even crossing the legs like that doesn't really work either. So when we think about that in terms of lifting, we cannot be sending so much tension in like a protection mode there because it will give. That's not how it works. Again, it needs to coordinate, not to just contract. It's not about strength or max strength, hold effort, whatever it is about being able to coordinate with the breath hold or with the breath strategy and be in a position to absorb force and absorb load and absorb force and produce force coming out of the bottom. Okay. So you have to be able to get the glutes a lot more involved in this. 
so that it's not just the pelvic floor that's gripping and trying to hold on in a protection mechanism. So we can do a few different things there by shifting the position. So if we're thinking about a squat, I like the cue get the belly button under you because that slightly adjusts your rib cage angle and creates more availability of the glutes. And then if you're, when you're driving out of the bottom, if you feel like your back is really starting to kind of like round under as you're trying to drive up, and this would be the same as like a front squat or catching the clean, it's just trying to get your glutes a little bit more involved. And that can be like, seriously, like centimeters shift in position to try to get the hips back and behind you, the glutes more involved again, in an effort to absorb force and um, create a lot of force. So some of those things can help really well, or can help a lot too. If you're doing like touch and go deadlifts, that means like you're not over squeezing and overextending your hips at the top. That's a, that's something I see all the time. And I don't think a lot of female athletes realize just how much extra tension that's creating on the pelvic floor. And it's honestly just like not really necessary. We don't need to squeeze the glutes between our reps of squats or deadlifts or whatever it might be. Like that's not like, you're not going to build a lot of glute strength that way anyway. So we don't have to go to the extreme of really like locking out all the way. I understand if you're competing in a powerlifting meet and that, you know, you're trying to make sure you totally lock it out. That's fine. But in our training, we don't have to do these like extreme forward hip, um, at the top of every deadlift or between, between squats where you just like really kind of tuck that pelvis under and squeeze the glutes that is unnecessary. And it's not doing your pelvic floor any favors. Next up is I couldn't like really figure out what to call this, but I call it the, the pre-lift routine. Like some people have like a tick that they do before they go into a heavy squat. Um, you know, maybe like they like slap their legs or there's like a certain step count to the barbell away from the barbell, whatever it might be. Um, a lot of our lifters when going for a heavy one rep max or heavy, heavy set will have a very specific routine. And a lot of the times that generates an abundance of tension through the lens of intensity. And again, there is a time and a place for that. It is absolutely appropriate. And sometimes it can just be too much. They're almost too rigid. There's too much tension. So it's being able to dial down the intensity slightly to see if that is something that can improve your symptoms when you lift. And again, this is, it's like, what are we predisposing our brain and that system to prior to the lift. That's how we have to think about this as we want our body to be as prepared as possible for the task that is about to be done. So sometimes we can manipulate something that like these predispositions essentially that we do right before performing. And that can make a really big difference for some athletes. All right. I kind of talked about this, but just in general with our form that can help with a lot of the tension management um, and it can put our glutes in a better position to absorb force because the glutes and pelvic floor work so well in conjunction. That's why so many people pee in during front squats is because like the glutes become less involved with that position in general. Um, and we really have to drive the hips behind us in order to help absorb some of the force and pressure that's going onto the pelvic floor. Um, so being able to, again, just have a more of a stacked position at the top of your squat, at the top of your deadlift. Um, and be able to really keep the glutes involved. You don't have to squeeze your glutes. It's this, again, this is a positional thing, not a tension thing that I'm talking about. 
But as you're squatting, making sure like you're really utilizing your glutes to that full range of motion from the bottom, that it is well distributed force and tension and that your glutes are really involved in that. You shouldn't feel it just all shifting or feel a ton of pain or pressure going into your pelvic floor. Or like if it's, if you're like an all quads person, like get those glutes involved. They have to be. It's why really like having strong glutes and well-trained glutes and being cognizant of them has a lot of pelvic floor benefits and carryover. All right. What else do I have here? Capacity. So this is a this is a fun conversation because for some athletes, their pelvic floor reaches a capacity, like their symptom threshold before their like like before their performance does. And when that happens, and what that actually means is maybe you could still lift heavy, but when you get to a certain certain load, you start peeing or you get to a certain rep. And there's a fatigue element there. Then you start peeing. We see this in double unders. We see this in running. We see this in lifting. Um, this shows up in a lot of different ways and a lot of different, you know, experiences for female athletes. Um, so we have to understand how do we build capacity? And this is where basic strength and conditioning comes into play. We have to take a step back in order to make progress forward. We have to be able to scale the demand and get it. And like basically work up to the fence, right? We have to be able to say, not quite there yet. So how can I get better at a lower load or a lower demand, improve what I'm doing in that way so that my body is better prepared when I'm trying to hit this lift, when I'm uh, working at this percent, when I'm reach double under 50 or whatever it might be, what is happening there? Have I trained this system to be able to withstand fatigue and challenge? And that's what we have to do. We take our symptoms as feedback and then we're able to sort of reverse engineer and say, well, like what's happening when I'm reaching my capacity? Oh, I can see that like my pelvis totally rounds there on my deadlift in this scoop position. And okay, like I need to like really work on getting stronger through that range of motion. So I'm going to do that a lower percent and I'm going to get fatigued at that lower percent, but I'm going to maintain that position. I'm going to up it a little bit more at a little bit more load over time. And this isn't just like a couple days. This is just really looking at the bigger picture of what you're doing, when symptoms are happening and why they're happening. Like be an observer of what is happening when I'm reaching my symptom threshold. And usually you can see it like it's a, it's oftentimes a fatigue consideration and you see like a, like a form breakdown or you see a they kind of resort back to a previous um, bracing or breathing strategy. Got to be able to watch that and then say, okay, like I need to get my brain and my body better under challenge. And I can do that by making some adjustments when I'm under less stress and less load and less challenge and create this automaticity. Because the bottom line is when you're going for a really heavy lift, the last thing you want to be thinking about is what your vagina is going to be doing. When I was working with Miranda, the UFC fighter, like when she was having some incontinence, she was like, this is like, I cannot be worried about my freaking vagina and like peeing when I'm trying to absorb a takedown or try to do a takedown. Like, I don't want to be thinking about that. And like, she's right. No female athlete wants to be like hyper aware or concerned about if they're going to pee on the platform or if they're going to pee when they're fighting or if they're going to pee um, 
you know, doing double unders at a CrossFit competition. They do not want to be preoccupied with that because that alone is a mind fuck and it impacts performance. So we have to get good. We have to get good at lower thresholds and be able to build that capacity, not just from like a functional and pelvic floor capacity consideration, but from a mental confidence standpoint, like where you know that you can trust your body to perform because you've put in the work and you've tested it and you've progressed it over time. And when you do this, even if it's freaking frustrating, even if it's hard to learn, you will be a better athlete. You absolutely will be a better athlete in your performance and in your function now and long-term. Because again, it's so easy to get super hyper-focused on the season that we are in or what our interest is right now, this year, in this season of life. But I want you to zoom out and think about what you want your quality of life to be like long-term. You know, I see, I get tagged into all sorts of things on social media and I literally very much choose not to engage most of the time. But we've been either shamed or it's been praised and we can't do either of those things. I'm not going to tell somebody that it's not a big deal. I'm going to help give them some information and feedback on what they could do to improve, again, both function and performance. But it also doesn't need to be something where we're shaming people and calling them out and making them feel bad or giving them like limitations around this. It's neither of those things. We cannot shame. We cannot praise. How do we walk the line with really strategic feedback and knowing that, okay, like this might happen. And like, what can we do with that information? What, what is she willing to do? Because again, we cannot be virtue signaling all of this. Um, she has to want to make some of these adjustments and see the value in it herself, because some people have athlete brain and they don't, they don't give a shit until they give a shit, you know, like they're not going to care. I think this is a big deal until, you know, it becomes a bigger deal. And And that just has to be okay. And I see a lot of coaches, you know, like a lot of the coaches that I've worked with that I've coached really struggle with that because like, we want to save everybody. We just like want to proclaim that, oh, just go to pelvic floor physical therapy or just do this or do that. And people also have to be like willing to receive that message and to make a couple adjustments that honestly, like once they're learned and practiced, practiced, um, it, it does become automatic. It's like learning a new skill set. Just like for my Olympic lifting friends out there, you had to drill the PVC pipe over and over and over until you really got your snatch like excellent. And then you added a barbell and then it was the same thing. And then you were at like low, low, low loads because that bar path was so important. That was such an important foundation to build off of. And you knew if you didn't get that bar path down, that you would never really be able to progress in the way that you had the potential to. We know that about Olympic weightlifting. And frankly, we know that about all human movement. But this is an area within the realm of athletic female performance that like, we are just really, we've overlooked. And frankly, we are in a, a new generation where we are seeing more women lift and more women have the ability to share what their experiences are on social media we certainly have a lot of commentary that can exist on all different platforms. So there's an abundance of information out there. We also just have to make it practical because if we tell people that they cannot lift or they shouldn't do this or they shouldn't do that or only do this or only do that, like that's not how this works. It has to be an autonomous experience. There is no one size fits all. 
some of these things may help you. Some of these things may absolutely not help you. And I don't know, like this is so individual, but I think it's starting the conversation, knowing that there's strategies and help and that people like myself are working really hard to change the information that exists for female athletes across their lifespan, knowing that pregnancy and postpartum is the first time that we're we kind of start to pay attention. We start to say, like, oh, like, yeah, I guess like shit is a little bit different, you know, because it can expose more vulnerabilities and challenges and things that we need to have more awareness and education around. We finally have to learn about our bodies when we become pregnant. Um, and so that's why this, this season is absolutely a catalyst and knowing how to coach female athletes through all different experiences and challenges should be a significant part of how we improve the fitness industry. Like we need that. We desperately need coaches who who get it and know how to help. Um, because again, this is not limited to just pregnancy and postpartum. This is an experience that um, a lot of different athletes of all abilities and ages have. So we need to know, we need to know what we can do and what strategies are available. So I know this podcast was a lot. I know it was some rambling, <laughs> Um, I wanted to put this out there as a resource and for you to come back to and listen to. I obviously have a lot of um, content on my social media that helps share this. I have quite a few videos I need to film, but if this is helpful for you, I would really appreciate it. If you left a review on the podcast, it helps others find it. And um, if you are a coach and you want to learn how to coach female athletes, um, in particular, like during pregnancy and postpartum, but in ways that are transferable again for this lifetime of athleticism. That's what my certification course does pregnancy and postpartum athleticism. We have coaches all over the world that are very well equipped to help have these conversations and provide practical coaching strategies. Enrollment for that is always open. So you can become a coach at any point in time. It is totally self paced. And I'd love to have you join us. If you are a pregnant athlete or postpartum athlete, I have fitness or training programs for both of those things, both of those seasons. And if you are wanting me to coach you, I have a membership program, the Practice Brave Fitness Program, and that is weekly workouts for you that really just, again, support this pursuit of a lifetime of athleticism, really building well-rounded athletes and taking into consideration our unique needs as women. So I think that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here a hundred episodes deep. It means so much. And I do not take any of this for granted. I appreciate your support. And again, if you enjoyed this, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. 
from there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you. And please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.